Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Startup Sales. Today we're going to be speaking with Erica, who has quite the experience. She's been the first salesperson for many early stage startups. And so today she's going to share with us uh, the insights of what it takes to to do get the first sales and and get the ball rolling with that. From, you know, active listening to hiring your first uh, sales, how to get your prospects to help, uh, and so on. So it's going to be a really terrific episode uh, if you're in those earlier stages. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. And before we get started, if you're an earlier stage startup and you're struggling to get more conversations with qualified prospects, then this is one of the things that we help you do at Startup Sales, is we work with you on your messaging and outreach in order to get more conversations and more demos with prospective clients. So if you want more information, head on over to startupsales.io. That is startupsales.io. Otherwise, let's get to today's episode with Erica. All right, Erica, thanks for joining us. Joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great. So can you tell everybody that's listening a little bit about your, uh, your professional background and, and who you are? Sure. So I actually started my career working in mental health. I volunteered at a uh, peer counseling crisis center and intervention hotline and then worked at a therapeutic wilderness school for at-risk youth. And I mention all of that because I think it's sort of a, a strange journey to sales, but it was a really important one for me. I got my first sales job at 23. I was hired as an account executive for a software startup outside of Philadelphia and found myself serving as their director, getting promoted to director within six months. Um, From there, I've now worked with four different companies, taking them from basically zero to their first million dollars and currently am a co-founder for a company called Productible. Wow, terrific. So why why do you say that... this mental health is so important in your career step? Yeah, so I think my approach to sales has always been one of extreme honesty with prospects, and I focus very heavily on qualification. So working in mental health taught me the importance of honest, open, vulnerable communication in terms of building really deep relationships. And in that time, I learned a lot of active listening skills Active listening is really a lot about repeating back what somebody says, but adding a little bit to it and asking open-ended questions. And I've really found those to be the best ways to qualify a prospect at every stage of the sales process. I totally agree with you. I think it's so important and it's every all the early stage founders most of the early stage founders just feel like hey let's just show our product it's so great they're gonna have they're gonna love it uh, and that's not the case <laughs> yeah absolutely if you haven't asked people about you know whether or not they're in pain and what that pain feels like it's really hard to to show them a great product and get them excited about it yeah so active listening as you said is is about listening adding uh, repeating what they say and adding more to it 
Now, I want to dive down into that and how does that work in the sales world and how are you using that to qualify? Yeah, so I think, you know, in terms of In terms of how, using that to qualify, you know, there's sort of basic qualification questions that you're asking a prospect depending on what stage they're at. So if you're qualifying very, very early, you know, is somebody a suspect or are they really a prospect? You're trying to learn things like, are they in pain? Are they the right person to spend money to relieve that pain? Uh, are they in enough pain that they're willing to spend a certain amount of money to fix it? And so I've sort of used a strategy at every company that I've worked with where I startups are in a really unique spot where they're doing something new and there's a lot of things that they don't know. So that is hard, but also a really amazing opportunity to ask for help. And everyone wants to give help and be an expert and give advice. So at a startup, you're in a great place to just cold outreach a bunch of people and say, I want to learn more about this problem that you might have. And you might not have it, but if you do, can we talk about it? Almost everyone will respond to something like that. And then you're having a conversation around somebody's pain, which as a salesperson is exactly what you want to do. But you're not doing it in the context of trying to sell them a product at first. You're doing it with the context of really trying to understand the pain point that somebody's having. So you can ask questions that are open-ended, starting with like, tell me about the biggest challenge you have and drive down with open-ended questions to get to a point where they basically end up telling you why they need your solution. And then tell them, hey, well, that's what we do. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. You get to a point where it's just like, cool. The problem you're describing, I have the perfect solution to see it. Do you want to see it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's and for everybody listening, it this this is real. It works, and it's it's not like it's a gimmick. This is actually like real psychology. You you bring up the pain, you let them speak about the pain and what is bothering them, and then you just tell them, "Well, we have a solution." Already, they're like eighty, ninety percent of the way there to buy. Yeah, you know, when I was working at um, the basically suicide hotline. The thing that was most surprising there is that you're actually supposed to talk about 10% of the time. And you're supposed to get the person you're talking to, to talk about 90% of the time. And when I was working at a suicide hotline, I was trying to convince people not to kill themselves, which is different from trying to convince people to buy something, but it's still a negotiation nonetheless. And so with sales, I always try to take that same perspective. I talk 10% of the time, they talk 90% of the time. So there's some actionable active listening skills that you can use here to progress a conversation without dominating it. So for example, paraphrasing. So, you know, if somebody says like, I just started working here and I'm already overseeing six projects, none of them have been properly started or staffed. I could paraphrase that by saying, it sounds like you've been given a lot of responsibility very early on. It shows that I'm listening, and it's enough to get them to keep talking. Um, I could also sort of reflect a feeling back to them. So I could say, wow, it sounds like that's really overwhelming, is it? That'll prompt them to talk more to me. Uh, you can also empower them. So another way that I could respond to that might be, it looks like your new boss really believes in your ability to get the job done right. 
Um, or I could turn this into an open-ended question. So, you know, they tell me that they're overseeing six projects and none of them have been properly staffed. So I can ask them what they've done so far to learn about the current status or start progressing these forward. And any of these approaches are going to encourage the prospect to keep talking and also feel really comfortable talking with you. These are sort of proven strategies that psychologists use to gain trust. Yeah, I think that's all what sales is about is to gain that trust and, you know, be open, like you said before, like open honesty. Uh, that's what allows them to open up. And then by asking those right questions, like you said, like, oh, it sounds like that feels really overwhelming. Is, is that so? You're not making any assumptions. You're putting, you know, your own thoughts to it and then asking them if that's true or not. Yeah, and I love to start with the pain first before I get into anything else because when you learn about the pain, you're going to learn whether or not this company has the pain that you can sell for. And it might not be the person that you're talking to, but if you build a close relationship with them, you have an internal champion who can get you to the person that has the money. It's still worth taking the time to learn about the pain. Absolutely. And you hear it from different perspective as well. Even if they're not the decision maker, they're they're still going to take part in the sales process. Mm -hmm. Great. So you've used this to be successful at four different companies, but I'm sure this isn't the only, uh, only uh, tool that you use to become, to, to get a company to a million ARR. So what, let's start with first, like the mistakes that you've seen uh, founder, like the assumptions founders have at the beginning that they shouldn't be having. Yeah. You know, so not including the the company that I'm founding right now, the four companies that I've worked for, only one of those founders was a sales founder. And the strategies there were remarkably different than the other three companies I worked for who had founders that were not sales founders. So the biggest challenges that I see going into a new company that's run by a founder who doesn't have a sales background is some combination of they don't exactly understand the problem they're solving they don't know who who within an organization has this problem, and they don't know what it's worth to solve this problem. For me, starting a company now, those are the first three things that I wanted to learn. I wanted to make sure that I completely understood all of that because those are really the biggest mistakes that I see early on, not having really clear answers to those questions. Yeah, and also uh, confirming those beliefs not just oh this is what i believe oh yeah uh, absolutely data <laughs> yeah <laughs> how can you confirm those beliefs i think the best way to confirm those beliefs is by having conversations with the the prospects that you're trying to reach but you know there's there's something within the dna of a founder that makes it really hard for them to hear objections and so i think going into these conversations with a goal of finding the objections i think i know what problem i'm solving i want to try to prove that my solution doesn't solve this problem and going in with that type of a mindset could potentially prevent the the happy ears that that tends to occur yeah that's definitely true. You hear what you want to hear. <laughs> All right. And and then what, what should a founder be doing? Once they've proved all three of these things, then 
selling. (laughs) I'm not sure how to answer that one. So, I mean, like you, you're, you've gone out and you've, you found out what the pain points are, not by assumptions, but you actually did the research and you got a deeper understanding what the pain points are. Where should a, where should a founder start? Like where, what is the next steps that you do, uh, to start selling? Yeah. So I think that actually like that process of getting those questions answered is already the start of selling. So when I started a company, the first thing I do is call all of their clients, their existing clients and ask all of these questions. And if you have any clients at all, they're the best source to go to. But even if you've already kind of gotten the answers to these questions from your clients, you go to people who you think are the right person to be talking to. So you think that you're supposed to be talking to HR managers. You go to LinkedIn and you find a bunch of HR managers and you get them on the phone and you ask them these questions. In speaking with your prospects about these questions and trying to learn these answers, you're already figuring out who has these problems. And if you're if you are actually solving a problem, then some of the people that you're having these conversations with are going to have the problem that you're solve that you're solving for and are going to want to work with you and try out your solution. So that's actually how I start selling. Even if I think I know all of the answers to these questions, I pretend like I don't. Um, MJ Hoffman is like my favorite sales trainer ever. And he's really the only sales trainer that I've ever spent real time with. And he really promotes this paradigm shift as a salesperson to treat your prospect like a teacher. Uh, So although I'm saying this is a great strategy to make sure that you have all of the right answers, it's really also the perfect strategy to start selling. And startups are in such an amazing, have such an amazing opportunity to use this strategy because there's a lot that they don't know. So you just be honest with people about what you don't know. They tell you what you don't know, and you hear all of the things that you need in order to turn around and and hopefully sell the person your product. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I love that. Treat your prospect like a teacher. And don't be afraid to be humble and say, hey, I'm not an expert in your field. We, like, we, we've developed a tool to help your field, but like, I'm not an expert. Tell me, how do you do this? Yeah, I've never been an expert going into any job I've ever had. You know, I've sold B2B SaaS workflow automation tools. I worked for one of the first companies to put char- uh, cell phone charging stations out in public, and I've sold virtual reality training. Um, so when starting all of these jobs, I really didn't know anything about the industry that I was selling to or the industry I was selling in, but I used my sales process as a way to become an expert. And I absolutely was an expert by the time I left. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, keep, an, keep an open ear, be willing to learn and be curious. I think it's uh, very important for, for sales. Yeah. When I'm looking to hire salespeople, the first thing that I'm looking for is curiosity and really good active listening skills. I, I agree. I think those are really important. Okay. Interesting. So active listening skills. I mean, I believe I agree with you on the on both of them, but how do you test for active listening skills during an interview when they're the ones supposed to be speaking most of the time? <laughs> yeah, um, by the questions they ask me. So if I'm interviewing somebody for a sales role and they don't ask me some really good, poignant questions in my book, they're automatically out. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, anybody that comes in and and doesn't have a question about the management or where the company's heading or anything about the product, and they're only looking for the paycheck and they're not going to be a good 
good pros- uh, good candidate. Yeah, but I'll also try to throw out some things that maybe sound confusing at times to see whether or not they dig on that and ask. So I'll I'll try to like throw out some information that I know I would ask a question about. I know I would be confused. And I want to see them say like, oh, I don't get that. Tell me more. Because I think that philosophy of I don't understand, tell me more is really important to being a good salesperson. Absolutely. It also shows that they're curious and and, lear- and learning. Yeah. I, I've got a couple tricks that I use to kind of see if they're, uh, mm-hmm. if they're the curious type and they're active learners. Uh, but what did you, I'm curious, what are you using when you're interviewing? Um, other than just like, I don't, I don't know that I have any specific tips and tricks. Actually, I'd love to hear yours. I usually am just trying to throw them a curveball that, and see if they'll ask me a question. Yeah, I mean, I think that's still vitally important. I mean, it, it, there's more than one way to skin a cat because I don't, I don't actually throw curveballs, uh, but I, I like that, and I think maybe I'll start do like try to find one or two like good ones just to see if they are listening and and if they're willing to admit their their weakness. I like that. What, one of the things I do, anyways, is uh, I'll ask them, you know, just during the conversational phase, like we're before we actually start the official interview, is just kind of tell them about a book I just read recently and try to open the conversation to see if they read a book or if they've learned something new or something interesting that they're going to share with me. Cause I don't care what it is. It could be totally irrelevant to our field, but if they've learned, if they're actively learning something, then it uh, shows that they're that, that, that kind of personality. Oh, gotcha. See, I, the thing I worry about, especially in startups is just the, the mindset of like, I'm listening to Tim Ferriss's podcast. And so I'm an expert on sales. I worry a little bit about, about that. And and that's why I try to lean a little bit more on what questions they ask versus like telling me that they are reading books. I think they're both, I think they're both really good indicators that somebody want to, that somebody's interested in learning. But I think that having an interest in learning is a little bit different than the type of curiosity it takes to be a good salesperson. I think the type of curiosity good salespeople have is they're not afraid to ask questions that might be dumb. They're not afraid to take on that student paradigm. Like I want somebody in an interview I would almost rather them say like, oh, yeah, I read that book, too. I'd almost rather them say like, I haven't heard of that book. What can you tell me a little bit about it? Should I read it? I'm looking for that. The honesty and the being humble. Yeah. I mean, I value that pretty deeply. So, (laughs) (laughs) I, I agree. I think it's really important. So let's let's go take a step back, though, because before building the team, you, you need to start building the processes, which we've started mm-hmm. d- discussing. What are, what are other like very important key factors to a success of a company at the early stage as, it go, as far as sales goes? The most important thing is getting your first couple of early customers and keeping them really happy. And I think the strategy for that is being extremely open and honest during every stage of the process about where you're at. So, for example, I'm starting a company right now. 
the stage we're at is we have a clickable prototype. We do not have a product. I'm going to go into every call that I have with every customer. And on that first call with a prospect, I'm going to say, we have a clickable prototype. We do not have a fully built product. Are you the type of company who is interested in getting involved with something that early on? I think setting realistic expectations is what leads to happy customers and getting those first couple of really happy, referenceable clients it's way harder to get the first one to three than it is to get the next hundred. Yeah. And it's, it also sets the stage because then they know that they could trust you. And, you know, I've, I've been also part of early stage companies myself, like three different companies. But uh, one of the things that I found that's super important is tell them, yet there will be bugs in this area. But here's what we could promise you. You could email me and I'll get back to you right away. I might not have an answer for you, but I'll let you know that I'm on it and I'm going to get and I'm going to look for the answer for you. And that alone just builds the trust uh, with the clients. Like so many founders are afraid to sound too early and lose the potential deal. Yeah, absolutely. Great. And so what do you do when you when you get the ball rolling? When do you think that you should start hiring out? Hiring out sales? Yeah. So I've come in at different stages in different companies. Um, three of the five companies that I've worked for now had one to two clients by the time I came in. So they had a couple of clients and they just couldn't figure out how to replicate that and get more faster. Two of the five companies, and I'm, I'm including Productible in all of this, brought me in much earlier than that. So Productible, the company I'm working on now, my founder was a solo founder for seven months. And she found that she was having trouble closing those first couple of deals. So, you know, I think that the the short answer is if you can get the your first couple of deals without a salesperson, do it. If there's something major that's keeping you from getting there, you don't know how to negotiate the pricing on it. You're not able to find the objections and figure out who's really interested and who's not interested. Then I think you bring a salesperson in as early as humanly possible. I think some founders are more capable of getting this started on their own than others. And, you know, Silicon Valley especially sort of diminishes the value of having a salesperson really early on. But I think that it's really important for founders to be able to take a, a, a close look within themselves and say, like, am I able to do this? If you can get a couple customers on board, then that's great. Basically, you know, you hire someone when you can't do it anymore. You're not being successful at whatever it is you're trying to do, whether that's landing your first couple of clients or scaling that. That's interesting. It's, uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but that's... That's against the trend. That's against what uh, what most people are saying, and and so let's have a little talk about that because I actually <laughs> disagree with you. Okay, I good. think I think the founder should be getting the first sales, and the reason is uh, even if they're not good at sales, they need to get that out of the way because that's their way of a few things. One, uh, having their finger on the pulse so that they could actually understand what the client wants and getting that real feedback. 
Um, but also that so that they don't know what kind of salesperson they need yet in order to hire that salesperson. And even if they hire a good salesperson that has the same industry background and everything, they're they don't know what the salesperson is going to be talking about or doing or responsible for. And they might have hire a really bad salesperson that would just sit there all day and just collect a paycheck. Yeah, fair. I mean, a really good first sales hire is someone who is essentially, you're going to trust them to run product, marketing, sales, and support. They're basically becoming the client-facing person. They have to be somebody that you trust to sit down with those clients and bring all of that feedback back to the team so none of that is lost. Some founders can do that. But my challenge to the current way of thinking would be every a lot of the companies that I've worked for and a lot of the what you'll hear is expect your first customers to be really unhappy. I think if a sales-minded person is involved from the beginning, chances are those first couple of customers are going to have the right expectations set for them and end up being happy, referenceable customers. So it's a question of what do you need to move the fastest? Yeah. Yeah. And don't be afraid to get outside help. You know, if you don't know how to hire a salesperson, go go find somebody that does and get their help. You don't know how to sell, go and get some help. There's so many different people out there so in different niches that could help you and and yeah. get the ball rolling. It will expedite that learning curve so much so and yeah. get you ahead of that game. And I do think a first sales hire, like hiring a first sales hire is really different from hiring a sales expert who has built and led teams of a hundred people. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, you probably notice while you're talking to me that like, I can't describe my process for shit. <laughs> I am not, <laughs> I am not the person who scales a sales organization to, you know, a hundred million dollars in annual recurring revenue. I have always left before we get to that point. I'm the scrappy person who can come in on day one and do sales, marketing, product, and customer support and do all of those things pretty well. And I think that's what you're looking for in a first sales hire. You don't want somebody who, you know, has closed millions and millions of dollars at Salesforce working, you know, working for Salesforce because they don't know how to do all of the scrappy things that need to be done right away. When you're hiring your first sales hire, you're basically hiring an extension of yourself. So you're the founder and you've gotten to the point where you have other things to do and you need somebody that you can trust that's going to hear all of the right information and bring that information back to you and vice versa. That might be the most important thing to look for. I'm so glad you said that. That's one of my biggest pet peeves is there's so many people out there that are hiring these experts, but it's like, well, okay, they were an ex, they were, they were a VP sales at a company with 150 employees. What do they know about, you know, day one? Yeah. My, you know, my first job, like I was hired as an account executive. I was 23 years old and I had never done a day of sales in my life. And what happened was the company had about 20 customers the customers were very unhappy and my sales director taught me her sales process and it was the first time I'd ever really learned how to sell. But it just wasn't working. The customers were unhappy and I wasn't able to close more deals. So I stopped listening and I spent three months talking to all of our clients and cold calling 
a hundred people a day, really just trying to learn, learn about the problems, learn what we were doing. What I found is that we weren't marketing the product right. So we were selling it as this one big broad solution for everything, when really it was three distinct offerings for three different markets. And if we had just added a couple of features, clients would buy it for three times what we were selling it for. So I took all of this information to my director's boss, and that's how I became the director of sales at this company, just by sort of talking to people, figuring out what the problems were. Um, and then we got to 300 happy enterprise clients by the end of that year. So I was definitely not polished. I guess, you know, my point (laughs) is I was not a polished professional. I was a scrappy, curious person willing to put in a crazy amount of work to find the answers. And that's what made me successful. Yeah, you got to be a co-founder without being a without the title. Exactly. You've got to care and you got to put the business be the business should feel like it's your business. That's a great way of saying it. Yeah. So if you were to look for a salesperson like yourself, what would you look for? I look for somebody who is super scrappy really hungry, somebody who really wants to make money, really has huge ambitions to be successful, and is extremely curious and intelligent. And I feel like everything else I can teach them. Interesting. So very a go-getter, hungry, and curious. And smart. I think you have to be really smart also. Salespeople don't get enough credit for that, but I, I do think that's necessary. So... When you say smart, you you mean ha- has good grades? They got good grades, or do you mean they're very resourceful and they they are they know how to get things done and find answers to things? Yeah, resourceful is probably a better way of saying it. Resourceful, but I also look for like uh, like reading comprehension and listening comprehension. Like I want people who are able to take in a lot of verbal information at once and then spit it back in a really concise way. So those are the things that I would sort of test for during an interview. Interesting. Cool. I like that. All right, Erica, I really appreciate you coming on and there's been a lot, a lot to cover. How could people learn, reach out to you and learn more about you and what you're up to now? Yeah. The best way is probably just to uh, follow me on LinkedIn, Erica Chaffel Michelli. Okay, on that's a long, long one. So I'll put the, a link in the show notes so it's easy for people to one click. Sounds and good. what about your company that, now? How can and, people find that? Yeah, my company is called Productable, and we're on LinkedIn as well. Perfect, Erica. Thanks so. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io.